I'm reading from the 119th Psalm, the fourth verse. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. As we have seen in our study of this 119th Psalm, the theme of the entire Psalm is the Word of God, and that the life of blessedness is attained through reading, studying, believing, loving, and obeying the Scriptures. We have seen that the psalmist uses different words to describe God's Word. We have seen the Word of God described as a way, a law, a testimony, and in this fourth verse we see the Word of God described as precepts. This word for precepts is used 21 times in this psalm, and it occurs nowhere else except in the book of Psalms. A common English definition of the word precept is a command or principle intended especially as a general rule of action. And that is very close to the biblical concept of the word translated here as precept. A good biblical definition would be a rule of personal conduct. The word precept appears to be almost synonymous with the word covenant. For we read in Psalm 103 verses 17 and 18, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The word translated in verse 18 as commandments is this word precepts. As you can see, to keep God's covenant is to remember and do his precepts. When people enter into covenant with God, He gives them a code of personal conduct according to which they must live their lives. Leslie Allen describes precepts as detailed rules for life associated with the covenant. As we read both Old and New Testaments, we find that throughout Scripture, God always gives His people these detailed rules for living. He commands His people to keep these precepts. Now many Christian groups think that talking about living by rules is a form of legalism and that the whole concept of living by rules is foreign to the New Testament. Well, have these people read the Sermon on the Mount lately? Anybody read Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 recently? Again, let me remind you as we study this 119th Psalm, Living in obedience to God is not legalism. Neither the psalmist, nor our Lord, nor the apostle taught that we are justified by living in obedience to God. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But as I have shown, the psalmist shows us clearly that the life of blessedness, that life that is filled with peace, joy, and comfort, is found in a life of obedience to God's commandments. People don't like commandments, so some people have tried to say that once we get to the New Testament, God's people are no longer under any obligation to live in obedience to God's commandments. Despite our Lord saying in the Sermon on the Mount, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break 
one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice that Jesus demanded universal obedience to God's commandments, even those that we might consider to be those of lesser importance. Now, I know that some theologians have said that Jesus made this statement before his sacrifice on the cross. After he died on the cross, they say it was no longer necessary to live in obedience to God's commandments, Christ having kept all the commandments for us. So it would seem then that Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, for the next three years, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments in the next three years and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them for the next three years until I die on the cross, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Obviously, that is not what our Lord was saying. Some people have said that these commandments in the Sermon on the Mount will not be binding until the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But we find these commandments of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount reiterated by the apostles in their writing after the cross, and people were expected to obey them. Besides, our Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles gave commandments to be obeyed now. When Jesus gave his disciples what we know as the Great Commission, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Lord gave commandments to his disciples, and the disciples must go to all the world, teaching people to live in obedience to the same commandments that he gave to his disciples. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Is loving one another just a suggestion? Or did our Lord command us to love one another? Jesus said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Luke describes the 40 days that our Lord spent with his disciples between his resurrection and the ascension in this way in Acts 1, 1 and 2. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Again, our Lord spends his time giving commandments to his disciples. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17.30 tells the crowd gathered on Mars Hill, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is a command from God. God is not merely suggesting that people forsake their sins. He commands them to forsake their sins. And how can they forsake them if they don't know what God has commanded and forbidden in His Holy Word? Even the gospel message 
to believe on Jesus Christ, to be justified by faith alone in Him, comes to us in the form of a commandment. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 3.23, And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. As you can see, the gospel message comes to people as a commandment. The gospel is not optional, something of little importance. The gospel is a message sent out that all men must believe or face the eternal consequences. So repentance and faith are commandments. But then the Christian is also given precepts throughout the New Testament to which he must give diligence, for they are his rule of conduct. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 2, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why is Paul still quoting from the Ten Commandments, especially here the Fifth Commandment, if the Lord does not expect us to obey His commandments? When Paul preached to the Thessalonians, he gave them commandments, precepts, to live by. In 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at the first verse, he writes, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now notice again that the Apostle Paul gave the people commandments by the Lord. And the first commandment that he mentions is on the subject of sexual immorality, a sin that was so prevalent among the Gentile people. Now, did our Lord expect obedience to these commandments, or were they just helpful suggestions? So these words that we read in Psalm 119.4 are just as relevant for us as they were for the psalmist. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Now, why should we keep God's precepts? Well, if you look at that fourth verse, you'll note something of importance. In the first three verses, the psalmist has been speaking in the third person, but in verse 4, he switches to the second person and addresses God. Thou hast commanded us. The reason that we keep God's precepts diligently is because He has commanded us to do so, and that is reason enough. Now, there are many rational reasons that we should obey God's commandments. As I've been demonstrating in this series so far, the 119th Psalm promises a life of blessedness, the good life, to those who live in obedience to these precepts. Furthermore, it just makes good sense to live in obedience to God's Word. All the misery that we see in the world is caused by disobedience to God. If you want to ruin your life and the lives of those whom you love, just live in disobedience to God. Furthermore, when we consider all the threatenings of the Word of God about the judgments that fall upon those who will not live in obedience to Him, both in this life and in the world to come, 
We can see that the most irrational thing in the world a person can do is to live in disobedience to God. But with all that said, still, the one sufficient reason that we keep these precepts is because God has commanded us to do so. Case closed. No other reason is even necessary. John Gill writes, here and in the following verses, the psalmist expresses his great regard to the precepts, commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. And that as such, because they were commanded by Him, were not the precepts of men, but the commands of God, who had a right to command as Creator, Preserver, Redeemer, and King, and whose commands are not to be reckoned as indifferent things that are at the option and choice of a creature to be done or let alone at His pleasure, but are what God has enjoined and are binding upon men. Certainly no one ever believed that salvation was by grace alone more than John Gill, but he recognized that God has given precepts to us, and because it is God who has given them, obedience is not optional. Thomas Manton put it like this, Surely he had the greatest right to command, for He made us. There is none hath such dominion and lordship over us as God hath. Unless you mean to renounce the sovereign majesty of God and put Him besides the throne and break out into open rebellion against Him, you must do what He hath commanded. The bare sight of God's will should be reason enough to a gracious heart. It is the will of God. It is His command. That is argument enough to a godly Christian that God has signified his will and good pleasure though the duty were never so crossed to his own desires and interests. They obey simply for the commandment's sake without any other reason and inducement. There are encouragements to God's service but the formal reason of obedience is God's will. And this is pure obedience, to do what He wills because He wills it. And since it is the almighty sovereign ruler of the universe who commands us to live by the rule of life that He has given us, He obviously expects us to take His precepts very seriously. So it's not surprising that God has commanded us to keep them diligently. The words keep and diligently in this verse show us how seriously God wants us to take this matter of living by his precepts. The word keep means to conform one's actions or practice to. It comes from a word meaning to guard or watch over. And in some contexts like this one, it means to be careful about. We must be very careful about our obedience to God's precepts. The word that is translated as diligently is an interesting word. The basic meaning is simply much. But when used in contexts like this, it means force, abundance, exceeding. Sometimes it is translated as might, as in Deuteronomy 6.5 where we read, 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. The word might here is the word translated as diligently in Psalm 119.4. So we could say that we are to keep God's precepts with all our might. It should be the most earnest endeavor of our lives to keep these precepts that God has given to us. We know that nothing great in the world has ever been accomplished without diligence, without that steady, earnest, and energetic effort, without that devoted and painstaking work and application to accomplish an undertaking. And what should be the object of our greatest diligence but keeping the precepts of the Lord? What great things we would accomplish for Christ, what strides we would be making in the Christian life, what good we could accomplish in the world if we just gave diligence to the keeping of God's precepts, especially the precept to love one another as Christ has loved us. We make excuses for ourselves by blaming our sinful natures and the difficulty of the Christian life, but the problem for the Christian can be boiled down simply to the lack of diligence. If we gave diligence to the keeping of God's precepts, the way some people give diligence to music, to art, to athletics, to their careers, to making money, Christians would change the world. But unfortunately, we do not give diligence to the keeping of God's precepts. As Spurgeon put it, God's precepts require careful obedience. There is no keeping them by accident. Some give to God a careless service, a sort of hit-or-miss obedience. But the Lord has not commanded such service, nor will He accept it. His law demands the love of all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and a careless religion has none of these. We are also called to zealous obedience. We are to keep the precepts abundantly. The vessels of obedience should be filled to the brim, and the command carried out to the full of its meaning. As a man diligent in business arouses himself to do as much trade as he can, so must we be eager to serve the Lord as much as possible, nor must we spare pains to do so, for a diligent obedience will also be laborious and self-denying. Those who are diligent in business rise up early and sit up late, and deny themselves much of comfort and repose. They are not soon tired, or if they are, they persevere even with aching brow and weary eye. So should we serve the Lord. Such a master deserves diligent servants. Such service he demands, and will be content with nothing less. As one writer has put it, to keep God's precepts with diligence, means to keep them not partially, but fully. Not reluctantly, but readily. Not slovenly, but carefully. Not coldly, but earnestly. Not fitfully, but regularly. Keeping God's precepts requires diligence because we so often stumble and have to begin again, over and over. It requires diligence because we have so far to go. It requires diligence because we have 
to constantly study and meditate on God's Word so that we might know how to apply these precepts to every area of our lives. This constant diligence to keep God's precepts should be the great characteristic of the Christian. All the commandments He has given us are of vital importance, and we are not to dismiss any of these precepts as not being worthy of our full attention. But if we keep these precepts diligently, what a beautiful life we will create for ourselves and others. There's a story told about Michelangelo, which is probably apocryphal, but it does make an interesting point. It is said that Michelangelo was one day explaining to a visitor at his studio what he had been doing at a statue since his previous visit. And Michelangelo said, I have retouched this part, polished that, softened this feature, brought out that muscle, given some expression to this lip, and more energy to that limb. But the visitor said, these things are trifles. And Michelangelo replied, it may be so. But recollect that trifles make perfection, and perfection is no trifle. Now that story may not be true, but it does illustrate that a great artist like Michelangelo, or any other great artist, created their works of art because they were diligent. They were striving for perfection. Thomas Manton explains that while we may not achieve perfection in keeping God's commandments, there is this constant striving for perfection. Manton writes, All this is to be understood not in exact perfection, but it is to be understood of our striving, laboring, watching, of our praying, and of our exercising ourselves hereunto, that we may with our whole man come under the full obedience of the law of God and may manifest it upon all occasions, at all times, in all companies and places. And this is an evidence of our sincerity. Let us commit ourselves not only to know God's precepts, not only to keep God's precepts, but to keep them with diligence, with all our might, for nothing else is worthy of the great God who has commanded us to keep them, and nothing else shows our true gratitude for the salvation that He has bestowed upon us by His grace. Amen.